In February 2021, McKinsey published a report titled Race in the Workplace, the Black Experience in the U.S. Private Sector, which looked at three key areas. Firstly, Black professionals' participation in the U.S. private sector economy. Secondly, their representation, advancement and experiences in the workplace. And thirdly, challenges that must be addressed and next steps to accelerate diversity, equity and inclusion progress. Some insights emanating from the report, some of which may not surprise us as black professionals, include the fact that black workers are underrepresented in sectors that have higher job growth, that are in the highest growth geographies, and the highest paying industries, such as IT, professional services, and financial services. While being overrepresented in low growth geographies and low paying jobs. 45% of black professionals, that's roughly 6.7 million people in the US, work in healthcare, retail, accommodation, and food service, meaning that they work in frontline, low paying jobs, earning less than $30,000 per annum. Transportation came up as the highest paying industry for black workers, where people are earning on average forty to $70,000 per annum. There are fewer than one in 10 black workers in the fastest growing cities and sectors in the United States. Black workers are at a higher risk of losing their jobs due to automation. Again, going back to the fact that they work predominantly frontline, low paying jobs. The employment rate of black workers with college or associate's degrees is similar to the total population of workers with a high school diploma. Black workers in the United States only make up 7% of managerial positions. And if we look at senior manager, vice president, senior vice president levels, that number drops to 4 to 5%. The reality is that there is a trust deficit that exists between black workers and the corporate environment in the United States. And we see that in South Africa as well, where black workers perceive workplaces as being less fair, accepting and authentic. In the United States, 23% of black people are less likely to receive adequate support to advance in their careers. 41% are less likely to view promotions as fair and 39% are less likely to believe that diversity, equity and inclusion programs are effective. At the current rate, it will take 95 years to achieve talent parity in the private sector in the United States. So what we do know is that companies need to have clarity on addressing racial equity. They need to review current state and prioritize interventions. They need to reinforce what works and adjust what doesn't. They need to track progress and drive accountability. They need to share best practices. They need to collaborate for collective action and they need to commit to sustained investment and research. Now, these numbers that we're hearing from this McKinsey report are horrible numbers, they're scary numbers, they're numbers that should be concerning all of us. But these numbers are at a racial level. It gets even scarier when we begin to drill down to a gender level and we look at the intersectionalities that exist within the context of identity and how that influences how we progress in the workplace. Well, that was quite an intro. Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Workplace Revolution with me, Sifle Volani. Joining me today is Lindelwa Skenjana. Lindelwa has 10 years work experience, which has included working in the telecoms industry, a small black woman owned management consulting firm specializing in policy and regulation. And then she moved on to the financial services sector. As a brand marketing and communication specialist within financial services, Lindelwa has moved around in retail product marketing, corporate affairs, and digital and data analytics. She's a 2019 Mail and Guardian Top 200 Youth Achievement recipient and holds a master's degree in ICT for development from the University of Manchester, a Bachelor of Arts Honours degree a Bachelor of Social Sciences degree in Organizational Psychology and Industrial Sociology, and numerous marketing and digital marketing certificates. Lindella was born in Durban, my home girl, 
raised in Pretoria <laughs> and studied in Cape Town, Johannesburg and the United Kingdom. She's passionate about technology and how it can be leveraged to include people who would have been excluded from mainstream economic activity. She's also passionate about the development of Africa, women empowerment, and is a former founding member of Mbewu Movement, a young professional women's social dialogue forum. As if she didn't already have a full plate, Lindelo is now also a new author after the release of her book, The Black Girl's Guide to Corporate South Africa. Lindelo, hello and welcome to the Workplace Revolution. Hi, Sinclair. Thank you so much for having me. And before we get into the real meat of this conversation, <laughs> why don't you just talk us through your career? Because, you know, just reading through your profile, girl, you have studied. <laughs> and I'm just like, where'd you find the time? What is happening? Why are we fighting? <laughs> exactly. You gotta pack up the ammunition, right? Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So I started off um, on a graduate program in, in the telecommunications space, um, um, specifically in the B2B marketing team. Um, thereafter, that's when I then moved to the management consulting firm uh, that specializes in ICT policy and regulation search. That further deepened my, my interest in, in information and communication technology and appreciate, um, you know, the policy work that goes into it before, you know, it drills down to the, to the micro levels where us as individuals could consume the, the technology, mm. uh, which is what then spurred me to go do my, my postgraduate degree in the United Kingdom thereafter I found a home in financial services but the dream and the goal was to always end up in in the development field so with the UN or with the World Bank etc mm. um, but that didn't happen my fate uh, led me to coming back home and, and landing in financial services mm. um, still as a marketing professional moving around within in, within that space mm. now your interest in technology, I mean, yes, we are the generation that has been pretty much the the initial recipients or the, the people who initially got to experience um, the advancement and the development of technology. You know, we kind of, in our teens, cell phones became a thing. Um, and then we got introduced to social media and, th you know, we, we've really seen a lot. We've experienced a lot, but we've also had very lots of moments where we're like, oh, thank God social media didn't exist when we were busy doing crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> but for, for so many people, although technology exists in everything around us, we limit it in terms of our conscious understanding to things like social media, where we consciously are aware that this technology is helping me connect to people that are not in front of me or people that I do not know, or this phone that I have is a piece of technology, but we don't consider all the other ways in which technology is a part of our lives. So what is it that um, drew you specifically to that, uh, the, drew your interest in that particular field and how is it that you feel that technology will be able to begin to bridge the gaps of of access and inequality that currently exist in society mm -hmm. so what drew me initially Sife, um was curiosity right mm -hmm. so i remember as a kid growing up i was always fascinated by what was behind um, uh, what, the television, for example, I used to ask my mom, who decides what shows get put on? How does it work? Yada, 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 right? Mm. Until I met, uh, a, there was a relative who was in the information communication technology space who explained broadcasting to me, right? Because mm. broadcasting falls under the ICT bracket. Um, but besides that, I always, you know, I, I know as a kid, they had those plastic like laptops as well, um, which had like basic maths and basic English mm. uh, comprehension and stuff so i always was just fascinated with what is behind this thing what informs it how does it work etc mm. so i was just always really curious um around around that and how i think um you know technology you know can improve society there's a huge i think it can assist in terms of, of scale um Ciclair, when it comes that which is you know why i really love it as well when we look at the gaps that we have, especially on the continent um, around, uh, you know, access to health, um, access to education, et cetera, 
when individuals do have access to basic, uh, you know, internet, um, information is out there, help is out there. If someone can't afford, um, you know, to go to a clinic or go see a doctor specifically, I mean, it's not always 100% accurate, but you can Google a remedy, right? Mm. Um, so what I like about, uh, you know, uh, te- accessibility to technology is the solutions, um, you know, that it does offer for, you know, people who don't have access to other um, means uh, in, in society. Mm. Now, when we think about access to information um, and and trying to, I guess, even out the playing field, um, and particularly when we think about, I mean, we're in, in June now and it's, it's Youth Month in South Africa and we are aware of the various challenges that are faced by South African youth, um, particularly when it comes to employment currently for the graduate pipeline. Um, but also for people who are still in the schooling system, who are still going to go to university, um, but feeling very kind of despondent around the fact that they're going to study and not have a job that is available for them. So for people who, I think one of the other issues that really affects this is the fact that we are still dealing with a lack of exposure to the career, the vast careers that exist. Mm. Um, and, and you know, there's still a lot of limitations around what is particularly young black children are exposed to as potential jobs. So it's still doctor, lawyer, accountant, um, you know, and if you look at our education system, it's also not doing as much as it could be in terms of creating or having a curriculum that speaks to innovation, which then would lead kids in you know different directions in terms of imagining different career paths with technology and digitization being part of that process. So for people who are not aware of you know, what a career within a digital and data analytics looks like within the corporate environment. Why don't you just talk us through what your job entails and what kind of skills one would need to have to be able to thrive in that kind of environment? Oh, Sifla, it's so vast. There's so many opportunities. But the team that I particularly form a part of is called the Digital Adoption Team. And Mm. what that does is it brings together a number of fields. It actually brings together marketing, communications, and change management um, in order to drive the advocacy for and the the usage of of, uh, digital platforms. So the main, you know, um, mandate of that role is to drive, you know, usage of the digital platforms. And the the main reason why people or companies are trying to drive customers onto their digital platforms is one of the key um, success metrics now for organizations is customer experience, Mm -hmm. right? Because at the end of the day, the needs of the customers haven't changed, but the channels in which customers access their services and products is what's changed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So customers are I mean, uh, organizations are, are battling for um, uh, customers in terms of customer experience, but also efficiency, because we know that highly satisfied customers uh, are then, you know, prone to be return customers. Mm. Um, so that's what it entails. Uh, mm. But I mean, yeah, if people from designers to if you're, you're curious about customer insight research, if you're a researcher, if you have more of an analytical brain, it, it's the technology or digital space is so vast. Mm. You know, it's very interesting uh, because just as it is within your particular team and so many different organizations, there is a, a an understanding and acceptance of the fact that in order for organizations to succeed, you need to bring together um, a diverse skill sets um, and people who studied very diverse um, courses within, you know, university or whatever the case may be, in order to be able to work together, bring those ideas together, those different ways of thinking, to be able to develop solutions that will help the organization achieve its goals. So we get that from a skills perspective. Why do we not get that from a race and gender perspective? <laughs> That's a very, that's a very big question. <laughs> I feel like I should be asking you. Um, and given that intro, right? Um, 
Look, I, I think especially in the South African context, we need to always remember where we come from. Um, one of the most uh, painful context points that I always like going back to is how black women were the last people um, to have voting rights in this country, right? Mm. So if we just look at it just from that perspective alone, um, and how when uh, you know corporate South Africa does speak of, of representation, we know that black men tick the, the, the race box and white women tick the gender box. Mm. So just in terms of the South African context, I think it's mainly ingrained in, in where we come from, um, mm. our history, and, and yeah, uh, the, the, the foundations in which these systems have been built on. Mm-hmm. Now, your book, um, which recently came out, uh, The Black Girl's Guide to Corporate South Africa. The first question is, ma'am, what is it that made you decide to write this book? Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> oh, how I wish I was interviewing you because <laughs> I had these questions for you as well. Um, there, look, there are a number of reasons, but the key one is that I remember when I was doing my master's and I was looking uh, specifically for research um, that concerned black and African women, and I really struggled finding relevant literature, right? So that mm. was a pain point. So I said, I made a mental note that, okay, clearly there's a problem, right? Mm. Firstly, secondly, there's that Toni Morrison quote that says, if there's a book you'd like to read that hasn't been written yet, um, it's your duty to write that book. So I mm. thought, you know, you know why not secondly but thirdly um you know in the decade having been in corporate there are these themes that kept kept on sticking i love having conversations with 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 other black women right so mm. whether they're younger or they peers or they're older women and in and you know the sense of of being mentors or sponsors mm. um but there, there were these common themes in what people were experiencing i thought why not have the stuff put in one place mm. and documented in one place so those would be the three main reasons for why the book mm. Mm. why specifically black women do you feel that black women face unique different challenges from for instance black men or just women in general mm. Look, I think firstly, Cicely, there's a power in one's intersectionality, intersectional reality, right? Mm-hmm. By virtue of being a black woman, a young black woman living mm-hmm. in South Africa, my experiences are already extremely different and unique to that of a black man, a white man, a white woman, colored Indian, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think, you know, that's, that's one of the key main things is our, our experiences are, are definitely um, different based on that, firstly. But secondly, who's going to tell our stories? Because mm-hmm. I, I doubt we're waiting for men or people of other races to be telling our stories. Mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of that in, in the past, but that times is done now, mm-hmm. right? Um, we are the ones that need to be in control of our narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that a lot of black women speak about, and particularly when we speak about the workplace and the challenges that we face, is the issue of imposter syndrome and how it impacts our ability to show up authentically in the workplace um, and to, to feel like we, we belong to be there, that we deserve to be there. Um, I would even take it a step further and because, you know, I think a lot about this term imposter syndrome and and the term imposter really kind of bothers me um, because it it, it puts the responsibility on us um, in in that we are the ones that are forcing ourselves into spaces um, that are not for us, whereas in fact, we have to exist in spaces that exclude us, that are unwelcoming of us, and that are often very violent towards us. Mm. But as a black woman who has worked in different industries and has done very well for yourself, um, how have you been able to navigate being true to who you are in environments that may not necessarily be receptive to that? and still be able to advance your career? Sure, and I mean, that's a, an ongoing thing, right? Mm. Um, but if I have to be honest with you, it starts, it starts with self and it starts at home, mm. right? 
So if, I mean, this whole, I know there's a, a whole theory now and research around, around, um, around upbringing and, and, um, and your care, your caregivers, et cetera, all of that stuff. Mm. It starts at home, right? So if you've grown up in an empowering home, a loving home, a home where you're told that you are loved and whatever, as much as the world will always be telling you and showing you the opposite, um, but at least that initial, that little bit of self-belief is always there, right? Mm. Um, so initially it starts with that. Then you're, you're, you're charted off into the world and you're on your own, right? Mm. And the self-work, right? So mm. I really do believe in, in self-affirmations and, and trying to be centered and, you know, surrounding yourself with positive people, energy, all of that good mm. stuff, right? Um, mm. And also defining who you are, who you're trying to be, and just affirming um, all of that for yourself, because mm. by the time you do get into spaces um, that are hostile towards your existence, mm. um, despite uh, experience or qualifications, what do you fall back on, mm. right? So it's important that all of that inner work um, is done. It really doesn't. It doesn't happen overnight. I can't lie to you and the listeners and say I've mastered it. Mm. Um, but it's it's just that perpetual, continuous work that you you have no option. You you can never stop. You can never give up on it. Mm. Um, but those would be, I think, the two critical things. Yeah. Mm. And one of the things that we're kind of um, groomed into believing when it comes to the workplace um, is that we need to do our best to assimilate. So mm. be what they are, reflect them, show up as them, dress up as them, you know, all of these behaviors that you need to do. Um, keep your head down, get your work done is something that a lot of young black professionals have heard and particularly black women. Don't mm. cause any trouble. Mm. How have you, and, and I'm so happy that you, you bring this up in your book, but how have you been able to, with all of that, with all of these messages that we get as black women um, in the workplace, how have you been able to find and use your voice within the workplace? It took me a decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't want that for the next generation. Absolutely. Right? Mm. We really don't. Um so I think apart from what I mentioned um, earlier, the, the upbringing bits and the work that you do for yourself, I guess it's important that when you when you're in, uh, you know, uh, various corporate environments is to is to find your community. Right. Mm. Um, I know, uh, you know, a, a senior black male once said to me, just ask, you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. Right. Mm. So be in the face of, of uh, you know, decision makers, influential people who aren't, don't necessarily have to be people that are older than you. Right. Mm. And so this is a tactic I found works for me. Right. So if there's a C-Clear in the organization who mm. I can see is doing incredibly well in, in, in marketing and I want to learn from her. Right. Mm. Um, it's just to approach a person, ask for a coffee um say you know send an email ask for five minutes whatever but also be very clear and intentional around what you want to get out of those conversations that you know when people make time um they also start affirming that they see you Mm. um in the the space you know so find different tactics that work for you um but that's that's how that's yeah that's mainly what i've I've tried to do Mm. and you actually Mm. uh bring me to a part in your book where you speak about how you define independence currently versus what many people may assume independence is as being able to do everything on your own and not needing anyone etc etc and you say here in your book i have grown to understand that independence is not expressed in any one way when i was younger i interpreted it as not needing help not asking anyone for help figuring it all out for and by myself Now that I'm older, I see and am open to interdependence. Mm. And that really speaks to what you were saying now around understanding the importance of connection with other people um, and being intentional about creating those connections and particularly in the workplace, because this is something that particularly with uh, marginalized groups, it's not something that we taught. It's not a skill that we're helped to develop this whole networking thing within the workplace, aside from going to actual networking events. But how do you actually manage to do it within the context of the workplace? So this question often comes up um, when people ask about 
but how do I identify a potential sponsor or what, how do I do it um, without my boss feeling like I'm going over their head, for instance, if I want to approach someone who's more senior than my line manager within the organization to establish a relationship with them? How would you navigate that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this thing of line managers, hey? Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, I think, yeah, I don't know where I wrote this actually, but the thing is line managers um, have a huge voice when it comes to to your, to your how you're perceived in an organization, mm. right? So it's important that to a certain degree, that relationship is nurtured, mm. okay? Um, so, because uh, I mean, your your career development plan, for instance, is co-owned between yourself and your line manager, mm. right? So, if yeah, if there's if you now want to deepen your knowledge in analytics, for instance, um, and your line manager is is a marketer, right? Mm. Um, then they could also suggest, oh, okay, so and so, you know, is is well versed in that. Maybe you should speak to them, right? Mm. That's someone who also cares about your your development, mm. but. Um, Something that's important in Sikhle is is a note when it comes to identifying a mentor or sponsor is jotting down, um, you know, your your personal swap. So what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Where do you think your opportunity areas are? Um, and what's currently threatening that, right? So mm. by the time that you do identify, you know, a Tando, a, tando, a Sipo, a John, or whoever that you, you want to, to mentor you, you're, you're able to, you know, have a really honest conversation with them um, and also identify why that person, um, you, you, you know, who you want to be your mentor and your, or your sponsor. Um, because oftentimes uh, people will make time for things that also advance their um, outlook in life, right? Mm-hmm. So someone won't just make the, you know, time available for you if it's not aligned to, to what they're about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and oftentimes I found the match that works for me is, you know, where there's a common passion or a common interest. Mm. So identifying a woman that's also passionate about women empowerment, um, you know, or a male mentor sponsor that's passionate about the development of a continent, you know, maybe doing it through the work they do in corporate spaces or, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, so it's just being clear around those things. Um, identi- and, and don't you know, as with life, you can't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So mm. reach out to five people to 10 people and, and, you know, uh, and, and, you know, two or three of those people will hopefully catch. Mm. Um, yeah. I want to chat about privilege because privilege is a conversation that is obviously very, very, um, common now. Um, and particularly in the context of, of racial privilege, but so often we don't consider the privilege that we hold as black professionals um, within the workplace. So for instance, if I grew up in an environment where my parents were able to afford for me to go to the best quality schools, they were able to afford for me to study at university, I speak in inverted commas well, (laughs) Um, I am, to what white to white people an acceptable version of a black person you know they feel comfortable when they look at me they don't feel like do you know what i mean there's so many different it's having a sponsor within the workplace as a black professional who helps you advance your career helps you navigate um challenging situations there's so many different ways in which we experience privilege um, when we advance in our careers, but also when you think about it in the context of how many black professionals are in the system, the number of us who do experience that privilege is a very, very tiny number. But how do we go about acknowledging it and being honest about it, even in the face of the injustices we still face, even with that privilege? And how do we use that privilege to help others who have even less privilege than we do, if any? Oh, in my head, as you're asking that, Sifa, I was thinking maybe we should term, we should coin a new term because is it privilege if you're still experiencing hardships, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think I think it's exactly what you decided to do, right? So mm-hmm. writing writing a book, um, starting conversations, um, having you know this platform that you have. Uh, I think I think that's 
a part of how we use the privilege uh, correctly, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's also being intentional around the mentorship as well. So I know whenever, um, you know, younger colleagues reach out to me, um, you know, I always, I find it a duty to make the time, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's not 30 minutes, even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes to hear the next, um, you know, black professional out. Mm. Um, and if I don't have the answers, then, you know, direct and link them to someone else who may. Mm. Um, again, you know, maybe more than one person can then one of those people will catch. But mm. I think that's, that's you know, the, that's the responsible thing to do is to have the conversations, whether it's on a one-on-one -on -one basis or as you've done with your platforms, which mm. is at scale, right? Mm. Um, I think that's the responsible thing to do. Right. I want to talk about the policing of black women in the workplace. <laughs> From the policing of our tone to, because, you know, Lord, you know, help us if we are labeled an angry black woman yet again for disagreeing with somebody or um, our dress code you can wear the same dress as Susan, but because you're more curvy, your dress code is inappropriate um, because it's too sexy for the workplace. Or even our hair and whether or not it's professional. How do young people who are entering organizations, starting off their careers, have no power, have no influence, have no sponsorship and likely don't have anybody who will back them up at that stage how do they navigate these types of things where we're on one point one side we're telling them to be confident and assert themselves and all of these things as part of their professional package but on the other end you can't speak that way you can't say those things you can't disagree you can't wear that you can't have your hair like that you need to go and get a wig or a weave or whatever the case may be how do they navigate those complexities <laughs> and it's interesting you use the term policing, right? Mm. Because there's also lots of um, theory just around uh, the policing of black women's bodies, right? Mm. But that's another discussion. Um, it's a tough one. But I, I think what's important, again, I mean, you have to understand the rules of the, the game you're in, okay? Mm. And I think it's important to ask, right? So the minute someone starts placing a number of don'ts in you know obstacles in, in in your path it's important for you to ask mm. it's important for you to ask why why not but you have to empower yourself again with the rules of the game so understand the policies understand what you can or can't do so you can rebut and and quote but in policy clause number this yeah. is what it says because i find um there's a part in the book where where I didn't have the power to, to, you know, to fight back when I did feel pressed in a particular way, it's because mm. I wasn't informed. But what I started doing is when those, those emails come in, right, where it's this time now in the organization and you need to do that, read them, be informed, stay mm. on top of the environment you're in. Otherwise, um, it'll be to your detriment at mm. the end. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. And now you've, You've progressed, you know, um, quite a bit within your career. And obviously you are at a point where you are senior and there are people who are junior to you. How have you navigated being a black woman in a position of seniority? Um, and has there, have you experienced any instances of resistance to your position and your leadership? Or being the boss as a black woman in in in, mm -hmm. in the world of work and how have you dealt with that resistance all the time so you say, but i guess as with life as well it's how you you choose to respond respond to it right mm. um but if i were to just draw onto three you know key things for me firstly is is knowing who you are right mm. so despite um you know the level in the ladder because i mean we have i haven't arrived mm. <laughs> um you you really need to know who you are outside the, the the you know your your level of seniority um know be very clear about what you seek to get out of of you know the the corporate journey right mm. or else someone else is going to define that for you but just have 
just know you know what works for you what doesn't work and and then your temperament right so mm. if you're a calm or whatever um, style of leader and not an aggressive um sort of person just sticking to that just being true to to who you are right mm. firstly secondly um something else that i've learned uh, as as a black woman that's in management is is understanding that a critical door opener or door closer in your journey is your line manager right because mm. regardless of how high you're getting you are reporting to someone mm. right mm. um and that you need to seek to understand this person as much as you wish for them for them to understand you mm. so have nurture that relationship uh, or nurturing it is is something that i've also been really intentional about and thirdly and really importantly is having a diverse community um to tap into mm. um whether it's ideas um you know people of influence um etc so just always sense checking or someone a junior to you a peer um someone senior to you i found that really really helpful is within the organization and outside just having a diverse um community um to tap into mm. Mm. And what have you learned in your journey about managing conflict? Because, you know, in any relationships that you have or any environment that you find yourself in that involves other people, there will at some point be conflict. But when we think about it in the context of the workplace, just the word on its own creates such anxiety for so many people because the automatic association is that conflict has got to be something big and ugly and horrible and detrimental to your career. Mm. What have you learned about conflict management and what are some of the tactics that have been helpful to you on your journey? <laughs> what a pet peeve. <laughs> what a pet peeve because <laughs> this thing of having dynamic um personalities except it never ends right mm. uh, you meet all sorts of characters all the time yeah. okay so i would i haven't mastered it I, i really wouldn't say i've mastered it but what i have learned is in in those moments right is mm. seeking clarity right um but also being honest about how a particular situation is making you feel right mm. so in a moment of conflict is you know to to push back in your own way and say but see so what do you mean when you say xyz because this is how i interpret it etc mm. so finding clarity and and understanding in those moments because i guess sometimes you know other people don't realize the impact um you know of of their words or their actions on you mm. um and and again i think such so, as something you said earlier it really it it brings back the responsibility or the effort or being the bigger person back onto you which is more exhausting right because mm. you're doing more work than doing your actual work mm. um but as a part of trying to resolve it unfortunately that's that's just what you have to do is continually seek clarity um you know shed some light on points uh, you know that you disagree with that make you feel a particular way mm. um yeah and what about this idea that as a woman in order to succeed or progress in the workplace you've got to you got to approach it like a man you've got to be hard you've got to be aggressive you've got to fight you've got to be you know take no prisoners <laughs> you can't <laughs> succeed if you're too nice and what not you know um what do you make of that and do you think that that is the key to success and is it helping or hurting organizations and the people within them look i i really would be going against who i am if i agreed with that as being the key to success but unfortunately it's a lived reality to say mm-hmm. i know um you know even with uh, some with some female peers um who who do take on that male esque uh, temperament of loudness and aggressive and no nonsense they they do progress faster and quicker because mm-hmm. um you know the 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 male counterpart that is the decision maker um they can resonate with that mm. you know they they prefer having that type of a female um at the table mm. um not someone who comes across as being a pushover or too soft or too nice mm. um you know unfortunately it's it's the currency it's the currency that gets rewarded in 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 these spaces um it's it's just a live reality but yeah i really don't think uh, or don't believe one has to assimilate to that at the end of the day you know your work uh, eventually um maybe not immediately speaks mm. for itself um 
you know, and your name is found in, in the right rooms, etc. If you continue doing, if you're a patient person, mm. um, stick to, to who you are. Mm. Um, and yeah. Now, bullying in the workplace is a topic that I'm personally very happy about the fact that we are starting, we, are, we have begun discussing more openly and more frequently. Um, but for so many black professionals who are either not exposed to the information or, you know, they don't have a support system that helps them navigate the workplace, may be victims of bullying and not even be aware of it. So what are some examples of bullying in the workplace and how can, what, and what is the impact of bullying within the context of the workplace and the toll that it takes on, on employees' well-being? that's a, another big question okay, right mm-hmm. <laughs> um, look I mean I think there's most likely a plethora of examples yeah. right um, but I mean some some examples maybe perhaps being ignored um, if you are meant to be working on something and with you know a certain number of people and they leave you out um, of, of communication chains I think that's a formal a form of bullying. Um, mm-hmm. Or if you have a conversation with someone about it, about something, and you get to a forum and they deny ever having that conversation with you, I think that's mm-hmm. a form of, of bullying, because um, it, it, you know, and and I think what it, what all of that stuff does is it takes a psychological, but also later, you know, to some people shows up uh, physiologically as well, right? Mm-hmm. I know um, in one of the chapters in the book. Um, there's a lady who speaks about how she started losing her hair, um, you know, because of stress and continuously wanting to assimilate and, you know, you know, her uh, variation of, of uh, bullying as well. So I think, yeah, it's, 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 it's so unnecessary mm. and it does, uh, you know, mess with one mentally and, and physically in some instances. Mm. Now, there's a part in your book where you share two reflections from um, friends of yours. And the first one is, people in corporate walk around putting plasters on their wounds when in fact they need surgery. And the other is, why do we so readily serve a system that only incrementally improves our well-being? We give, 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 and they refine their method of exploiting you. And it brought me back to a point that you, a section that you have in the, in the earlier part of your book, um, in chapter three, uh, where you say, I had returned to South Africa from a life-changing opportunity to complete my master's degree in the UK. I was hopeful. I was excited. I wanted to be the change I wanted to see. And so my question is, taking the reflections that your friends have shared about how Mm. we are literally injured black people walking around corporates trying to survive and still trying to go above and beyond in order to survive, but also feeling the strong pull and urge to contribute towards change in an environment that is resistant to change. How do you make sense of that to yourself and how do you keep going? (laughs) <laughs> yeah what a what a triggering question <laughs> um i think how i manage it again is when you've defined who you are and who you're trying to become right mm. and the magnitude of the work um that still needs to be be done right so within a corporate environment but also externally right so Mm -hmm. i think linking to a question you asked earlier about um you know uh graduates or you know new entrants coming into the space there's just a responsibility right um i think you know similar to you you uh, me and you know other black professionals who've, who've been in the spaces is there's a responsibility for us to 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 try create the South Africa that we we want to see and live in, right? Mm. Um, giving up is just not an option. Mm. Um, yes, there's a lot more inner self work you need to do, but giving up is not an option. You need to show up mm. continuously, stronger, 
um, you know, I really don't like the word res- being resilient, but <laughs> if that's a part of what it takes until, until I think, yeah, in the quote that you opened with earlier, you said it's going to take, what, 95 years yep. in the US, which is just shocking. Yeah. Um, but giving up is, because who else? So similar to, mm. to the, to part of the reason of why I write the book, who's going to do it if we don't do it for ourselves, right? Mm. Mm. And for each other. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. And how do we show up confidently, knowing all of the challenges and the barriers that exist in the workplace? How do we still able to, how will we, how do we find a way to be able to channel confidence in the way in which we choose to show up in the workplace? And what does confidence in the workplace look like? Mm-hmm. So from experience, what confidence in the workplace looks like, firstly, is, you know, being really technically sound at what you do, right? Because mm-hmm. if anyone's going to come for you, <laughs> they're going to come for you at what you know or what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So you better be in the knowing, uh, uh, you know, side of things, firstly. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, um, is, is, yeah, is not, is not um, neglecting who your authentic self is. So mm-hmm. bring who that person is right but mm. but thirdly again is is you needing again a diverse uh, pool of people you admire and that are influential in your life um your you know your personal board um uh your personal board right of people that are continually going to affirm you going to help you you know refine um, your, who you are and your style, etc. Because I think there's a bit of internal validation that's required, but there's also external validation that's required. Mm. And I, I think, you know, at times it's not enough to to only rely on your enclave to be mm. your cheerleaders. So finding a group of whether it's you, you know your black female colleagues or friends that affirm who you are and build your confidence, you need a diverse pool mm. um, that's going to help affirm. Um, what you're about, right? Mm-hmm. And and where you're lacking help you because it's not about um, just pointing out your flaws, right? That's what the naysayers are there for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you need people who are going to be like, actually, here, you're not good at this, uh, but this is what you can do to improve. Mm-hmm. I think those sort of things, those spaces, those conversations, those people in your life are what help you build your confidence. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a part in your book where you say, to me, success is freedom of choice, freedom of movement, the freedom to change my mind and to do as my soul wills me to do. Success means not having circumstances dictate how I should act and having the latitude to decide what to do. To me, success is freedom. And I, as a black woman who is a professional, completely agree with that, completely resonate with that. And the question then for me is with many, most of South Africans who do work being employees and who may feel that they resonate with these words, what kind of leaders do we need to be able to create organizations that have a culture where employees can feel this way within the workplace. In my opinion, I think um, the kind of leaders we need are leaders who within themselves are free, right? Mm. Um, and are empowered and then, you know, want that for the next person. I find um, from experience, again, people can't, uh, uh, you know, aspire for, you know, optimistic things when when they, you know, as, as, a, as a subset of their personal beliefs mm. um, don't, you know, live like that, mm. right? Mm. So I think leaders who you know, who are liberal and, you know, and open and, you know, espouse to that type of a culture are the ones who, who will ensure, um, you know, that they build it around them, um, you know, and not necessarily only in one environment, but if they move around different environments, you know, that's the sort of legacy that would follow them. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, honestly, it, it starts again with, with the inner work of that particular leader and then, you know, wanting... 
if mm-hmm. yeah if leaders aren't like that uh, as individuals mm-hmm. um then you definitely won't see it in in, in the culture mm-hmm. and if you if you could give some advice to someone who's just graduated or is about to graduate and they're preparing themselves for the world of work what advice would you give them Mm. very selfishly this would have been advice i would have liked to receive Mm -hmm. as well the first is be very clear about what you would like to get out of your corporate journey right and Mm -hmm. and i say would like because what you would like and and what the world deals you um, you know, it can be very different things and you need to be okay with that, but mm. be clear, right? It mm. helps having a roadmap. Secondly, um, is knowing that there isn't a one linear path to get to where you desire, mm. right? So be open to the zigzagging of your career path. Um, cause you know, in that famous words of, of that Steve Jobs quote, your life only makes sense or you connect the dots when you look back, never mm. looking forward. Mm. Thirdly, is you need to lean in on those who've walked the path before you, right? Mm. And don't mind being your sounding board, right? Mm. Um, but when they do agree, um, you know, to 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 ha- to having a conversation with you, be open to learning, be open to the constructive criticism, and I emphasize constructive criticism, right? Because we don't need energy that's trying to break you mm. uh, we need energy that's trying to build you right but thirdly um your youthful years in corporate are your currency to a certain degree so mm. use them wisely um you know learn as much as you can grow as mo- much as you can and try not to lose your spark mm. i love that mm. i want to mm. just read one last part of your book before we end off our conversation And this is literally the last page. (laughs) And it reads, your success is not an outcome of the variables that make up who you are as an individual and what purpose God may have bestowed upon you. Your success in a corporate environment is directly linked to the demigods that rule over the empire of corporate South Africa. As a young black woman, at least, that is how I perceive it. To all the young black women in corporate, never stop learning. Never stop wanting more and better for yourself. Abandon fear, ask questions, ask for help, take breaks when you are tired and need to recharge, set clear boundaries, speak up when you feel disrespected or overlooked, and never trade your authentic self for a lesser, more acceptable version of yourself to fit in. Most importantly, create spaces where you can share experiences with your peers and learn from and support each other. Reach out to older women and men in your network. You do not always have to stay strong. Just always stay true. Linda Loa, that is such a beautiful way to close off your book and... I certainly am so happy to see more and more of us black women contributing our voices, our experiences, our lessons um, to the to this, you know, to this conversation and, and to help other young black women who look like us, feel like us, experience things that we've experienced for them to be able to have resources that they can lean on, but also for them to feel seen and to feel like they're not imagining their experiences. I can't imagine what it took for you to write this book. (laughs) As an author myself, girl, I know. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know it all too well. Um, But thank you for this work. And I cannot wait to see what else you do. And I wish you every success as an author and beyond. Thank you so much, Zuclair. And keep, keep on doing the important work. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Workplace Revolution with me, Sihle Bolani. I'll see you again next time.